Welcome back, Rebels. Hello, how are you? I'm good, although I feel like I've made a mistake. Oh no, what's happened? What I've done is I've taken on a job and I really wish I didn't didn't take it on. I think someone's come to me and basically asked, asked for something that isn't what I normally specialise in. And I've said yes to it because I know I can do it. And then now I'm wishing that I didn't do that because I realised why I don't do that thing in the first place. Oh, Adam. It's like, <laughs> Adam, Adam, Adam. 10 years we've been doing this, 11 years. And like, you you know this, we've learned this so many times, like foundationally, like don't take on the shit that's going to bring you stress. Yeah, I know. And I was even having a conversation uh, with an artist the other week as well, who's decided that they're not going to take commissions anymore. They're only going to do their own work because they know that that's what brings them happiness. And they know that as soon as a client gets involved where they're going to really change what you want to do, then that's only going to lead to stress or something that you're probably not going to be happy with in the end what was it that's kind of ringing alarm bells is it because they don't want you for your style they want you to replicate something different that they have in mind yeah and i think i get this a, a lot as well where people come to me because i can take photos they just assume that there's like two different types of clients that i get the ones that just love exactly what you do and want exactly what you do and are happy with what you do and then there's the ones that come to you who can see that you can you've got that technical ability and then they want to use your technical ability with their idea. And I think that's where the problem kind of lies. It's the fact that I'm doing something that isn't something I would do in my day to day. It's not something that I love. If, if, I, if money wasn't involved and I wouldn't be doing that for fun. Like, and I think mm. that's kind of like the balance that's there. It's like I wouldn't have ever chosen to go and do that. Uh, but I've accepted it. Uh, kind of helping someone out for, yeah, this would be a, a cool thing to do um try something a bit different and then i now regret doing it completely you're you're asking you're asking yourself why did i do this because you're stressing about it and you're think you're overthinking it and you're going life would have been much simpler if i just said no a hundred percent and i think it really reminds me of what mike winnett said to us when he was like does it make the boat go faster mm. and this is something that it doesn't make the boat go faster it just keeps it afloat and i think that's what i'm trying that's what i'm trying to make sure that I would like I'm quite good at actually making sure that I don't do that but every now and again something just comes through and you're like oh I'm just gonna say yes because I just feel like saying yes um but yeah now I've kind of got to a stage where especially with things starting to open up again where people are kind of asking me to come to like different places to do these different shoots for different things and I'm now in this kind of situation obviously we've been in lockdown for like a year now so I've everything I've done has just been from one location and now the world's opening up. I need to, I feel like I need to mentally make sure that I don't just fall into this kind of ether of like, oh, I could go and do this over here, this over here, this over here. Like one, for I know how long it takes to travel around the place. So it means that suddenly if I go across town, what would be normally a 90 minute shoot is actually going to be a, probably a full day. Uh, and then there's the equipment I've got to take and all these other things that just make life a bit more stressful than it needs to be because I don't need to go and do that. Um, but I think it's quite easy that as soon as there's like, oh, there's some money over there. I'm in a situation where I'm fortunate enough where I don't have to chase that money. Like I've got enough to sustain me. So I need to just be really careful and make sure I rein it in and make sure that I'm only doing the things that I want to do or the things that are going to help me get to where I want to be. Yeah, I mean, we are both of us in that very privileged position um, through 10 years of work that we've got to the stage where we are able to pick and choose the the clients that we do want to work with and which is which is a dream um and obviously understand that a lot of our listeners aren't there yet 
And like we always say, our number one priority is the listeners of this show and we need them to survive. And by any means necessary, like that, that means do whatever you can to survive. Holding your breath is always a good idea um, because it, it allows you the sort of, um, I, I guess it's like the power to be able to say yes and no to the projects that you don't want to do because you haven't yeah. said yes to anything in the past. Um, but obviously, yeah, that's that's a position that you sort of get to over time unless you're able to um i think harris newcomb did it very well like he he came out he was a photographer and he, but he held his breath like he didn't take on any jobs that that weren't in his style that weren't his kind of thing however he was able to sustain himself and do that um and i think that's put him in a very very strong position now i did it with my neon artwork at the beginning of this year um i haven't said yes to anything um whereas like there were times with with our first business where like if if whoever was calling it's like okay well we need to pay you all of these yes. staff yeah. yeah we need to keep the lights on so we've got to say yes so there is is obviously a balance but i think the more that you can say no to the people that you don't want to work with the stronger position you're going to be in further down the road what would be a really useful thing to do and i think work out what is the baseline that you need to survive to pay all the bills to pay food to like literally cover everything that needs to be covered pay your rent pay any, like anything that's going to kind of you that has to be paid every month work out what that is and if you can afford to pay that off doing the thing that you love then cool you're sorted just keep doing that because it's like eventually more jobs like that will come in earning that amount from the things that you actually want to be doing then that's when you're going to have to go out there and do things you don't want to be doing and i think as soon as you've hit that threshold of the i'm earning enough to survive then it's okay well from here up I need to be doing the things that are actually what I want to be doing, heading me in the direction I want to be going in. Because then it's like you've got the, it, I suppose it's the same as having, like a lot of people will have a job on the side whilst working a creative endeavor, especially if they're getting started, starting a business or whatever it is. They'll have like a job in like a coffee shop. They'll be working in an office, like assisting someone. They'll be doing something that helps support their creative passion. So I think if you can use your own creative passion to support your creative passion, then that's great because you're still learning, you're still developing and you probably will find that even though you're not necessarily enjoying these jobs, you're still learning, you're still getting the technical skills from doing those and even just the muscle memory of doing them again and again. Like painting is a perfect example. Like you might be painting something you, you don't love, but you're still getting new skills from that. And also I find like, like a lot of times with graffiti life as well, so many of the jobs that we would do, we would never have chose to paint that. But by painting something that you wouldn't have chose, you'll then try something to get a different effect because you're trying to create something that looks like smoke or something that looks like fire or you're trying a new skill. And then actually by doing that, you're like, oh, I learned something there. I can then bring that into my personal stuff. So there's definitely a benefit to going out there and doing it because I feel like it does push you and being pushed is a really good way to develop. So I feel like if you're not doing that personally, then actually those can be quite useful places to learn to go and do that but i think as soon as you're at a certain stage with your technical ability then that's when you need to be a bit more strict on what you actually say yes to like if the bills are covered then you should just be doing things that are going to drive you towards what you want to be doing more of yeah i i was talking to a tattoo artist who messaged us on instagram today actually um at rebels create on instagram if you've got a question and she was saying she, she was basically asked us to do an audit on her um on her instagram page and I think the the crazy thing about tattoo artists is like you are in a collaboration 
with your clients so yeah. much more than you are in in really any other profession um because whenever you do have a client there is all of a sudden it is not your pure artwork that you make for yourself 90% of the time there's always like an element of what what the client wants yeah um, so i suppose tattoos are such a personal thing aren't they so a lot of people are going to come in with i want something to help me remember this or i want something that is inspired by this they are until you get to the stage where you're so well known for your style that people yeah. just want you because of what you make yeah. and it really made me think of of sort of any business if you can get to that stage that's like the pinnacle is they are coming to you because you are an absolute expert at, at the thing that you do and i think that's the stage that we've got to in in most of our businesses is where we're providing a service that we know that we're that we're like the best at or or like we're top level at um and that collaboration then between the client turns from them demanding from you whatever it is that they want to them asking you as an expert like what you think would best suit what i'm trying to achieve here and that's when you can have this kind of open dialogue where okay you've come to me because i'm the expert at this and here's what i'd recommend that we do um and and i mean through the years it's it's actually surprising how few bad clients we've had um yeah. but there's but there's certainly been some and um, I think if you're getting loads and loads of bad clients, then you need to look at what you're doing. Um, is there a way that you're talking to people that's 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 making them come across differently? Um, is there wording on your website that's not getting through the information that you want? Like, do you know what I mean there's something there if you're because really most clients you're going to find should be decent as long as you're able to manage them in like a responsible way. Um, but of the few clients that we've had, I think so often we've known from the first point of contact that they're going to be a nightmare client. Yeah. The, there's there's always red flags. And as soon as you spot those red flags, like, and it, from what you, what we started this conversation with, it doesn't sound like you've got a nightmare client there. It just sounds like you, it, they've yeah. got a brief that, that doesn't work for you. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's not like, it's not something that I absolutely hate. It's just not something that I absolutely love. Like it's, it's fine. It's just not, helping me go in the direction that I want to go in. And it's like, I think I put so much pressure on myself because I know what I should be doing. I know what's going to help me go where I need to go. And this definitely isn't one of those things. So it's like, oh, making sure that like I rein myself in and just kind of like, I suppose it's good every now and again to have that kind of reality check of just being like, actually, it helps you remind you. It almost helps you remind you of why you are doing the other things because it's like, oh, actually, yeah, I'm not as happy doing this. So I'm so yeah. glad that I'm going to do that other thing. Uh, back to what you were saying there before. I think there's two things to take away from that one how important it is to become an expert how important it is to get really really good at your craft to a stage where people want from you what you can provide because i think especially when you're first getting started it's very easy to just take on anything because you have a bit of that technical ability but no one's coming to you because you're the best at it and i think that's why like with everything we've ever done and whatever i have an interest in i feel like it's always important to just relentlessly try and get as good at that as possible because the better you get at it the better clients you'll get the more respect they'll have for you and i think that's that's like a really interesting thing as well because i think when you think of photographers i think that's quite a good example because there's photographers who have a style who do their own thing and then there's the people who you'll just be like like when we've had events in the past and we just go on the internet search for event photographer and that person will just come along and just do anything and they will just yeah. say yes to any single job that comes along and it's interesting because it's like the people who will just say yes to anything 
will never charge as much as the people who are specialized who are an expert at something. So I think whatever it is you're doing, whatever you've set your sights on, you need to get really, really good at it. And you need to make sure that there's always a certain amount of time to, to help improve that craft because being the best is going to help you more than anything. We've talked about it a few times recently where when it comes to like marketing your business, if, you're, if you've just got great work, it markets itself. So I think having something that is such a good product, people are going to want it because the quality is there. And the second part I wanted to kind of revert back to is um, I actually had a conversation with a listener this week who basically DM'd me and been like, I've got some awful clients. I just don't know what to do. And, and I kind of went through his Instagram feed and just kind of broke down exactly why he had awful clients. And it was because he was putting out work that he didn't like. He was mm. like, I've just done this. This is a portfolio of work I've been working over the past like 10, 15 years and just putting it all on Instagram. And I just said to him, I was like, do you want to be doing more of that? And he's like, oh no, I don't, don't like doing that. I was like, then why is it on your Instagram? Like you should only be putting stuff up that you want to receive more of because if you just put up anything, then you're going to get asked for anything and then you're going to do more of anything and then it's just going to become this cycle of you never really progressing in your career because you're just taking these little things that you don't want to be doing the whole time. Whereas if you're so specific about what you want to do, like if you look at both of our Instagram feeds, you know what we're about. You know the aesthetic you're going to get. You know the style that's there. And I think that is so important. It's like making sure that you have that single aesthetic, that single style that when someone comes to you, they know what they're going to get and they want you for what you do rather than the technical skills that you have. I think the the key tool that any listener should uh, take away is the fuck off rate. Um, it's something we've used through the last 10 years of business is get yourself a fuck off rate. And as soon as those jobs come in that you look at and you think, I don't really want to do this, you yeah. charge them the fuck off rate, which is twice what you'd normally charge or three times what you'd normally charge. And then if they go for it, you can suck it up, buck up and do it. You'll, will have, you'll make a shit ton of money from it. Um, or they'll go, that's too expensive for me, and then you don't have to deal with it. Um, I think the fuck-off rate is such a huge tool in people's arsenal because it, it, it allows to, you to wipe out the, the people that you're not wanting to work with. But someone who has found awesome clients is this week's guest, Toria Smith. Perfect segue, Adam. Yes, she has found um, awesome clients. She's worked for celebrities like uh, Tom Hardy. She's worked for big brands like Facebook and Airbnb. I mean, we were talking earlier about how y you have to really like trust your gut I, th I think the thing about that is like trusting your gut and and moving quickly and just making the decisions and then whether they're right or wrong, dealing with the outcomes of those decisions. I've been thinking so much recently as you and me are, are writing our book at the moment, and this is something that's coming up quite a bit, is the sheer amount of businesses that fail. And, and we kind of know how to not make a business fail. And I mean, a, a lot of it is I mean, just listen to this podcast every week and you'll start to get those foundations in in like, okay, this is going to be take relentless work and and keep going and never give up and like be sensible with your finances and, and make sure that you've got a safety net and all of these things. And, and really for a business to fail, it's going to take one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision. It's going to take this big sort of chain reaction of bad decisions. And I really think if you do make all of those bad decisions, they're like, maybe you're not very good at business and you need to learn a bit more. You need to learn a bit more business, you know? Um, but one bad mistake is not, is not going to screw your business. It, it's really not. What Tori has done during the pandemic when they're, they're working in food, they're working in events, basically the whole industry shuts down 
And her business is now thriving just through making these quick decisions that, and I'm sure along the way she made a couple of decisions that weren't right, but then doubling down on the ones that were clearly working. Yeah, 100%. It's really interesting to see exactly how she has pivoted throughout the lockdown. And actually her business now is a completely different thing to what it was when it first started. And I think going forward as well, she'll have a much more successful, bigger business because of the pandemic, because of the way she's pivoted. And I think there's a lot you can take from this episode, even if you're at a stage in the business, especially because we're coming towards the end of this pandemic in the UK now, hopefully. But there's a lot of lessons that you can take from it about maybe how you can implement them in your business. What kind of new products could you think about? I think as soon as you start to think in a slightly different way about it, like what different, like who are your clients? How can you entice them with a small product? And then that could then potentially lead to bigger and bigger things. So it becomes this like really nice flow of a customer journey. Then actually, yeah, you could become so much more successful. So there are so many little takeaways that are really practical in this episode for people who might want to add something to their business or change it in some way or just see the potential of how it doesn't all have to be bad. Like things can change and things can get better, even when it seems really hard. Yeah, this week's guest is Toria Smith and she's the founder of Grape and Fig. Uh, they are a grazing business, which I had no idea what that was until we spoke to, um, to Toria. But yeah, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Toria. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Toria, could you describe your business, how it looked um, pre-pandemic? I run a business called Grape and Fig. Um, we are a grazing caterer. Uh, what do I mean by grazing? Essentially, the products we use are kind of cheese, antipasti, um, cured meats, lots of bread dips, kind of a, a, a much nicer buffet to kind of forget about the beige buffet. It's all about kind of grazing. Um, and pre-pandemic, we were very much kind of an experiential business. And what I mean by that is we would create experiences at events um, with food and flowers and kind of tablescaping and props to create a wow moment, usually at kind of events like press events, um, big brand launches, weddings, um, big, big kind of wow moments. Where did that idea come from? Um, was like did you work in a company beforehand that sort of had done something similar or like like what sparked the idea for you it was quite organic so we um, my husband and I traveled um, 2012 2013 and we were in Byron Bay in Australia I remember it's clear as day we were walking along the coast and we saw this wedding um, it was like teepees and it just looked so different to the kind of weddings I was used to seeing in the UK. And there was this table, like this, I don't know, six, seven metre long table. And it was just full. It looked like a piece of art. It was, I'd just never seen anything like it, just full to the brim of these amazing cheeses and meats. And not, everything touched each other. It's, it, I just hadn't seen anything like it before. It just looked stunning. There was flowers integrated into it. And people were just around it with a glass of champagne, just digging in. It was really informal. Um, it was incredible. It was a huge craze over there, massive. Grazing was a big phenomenon. The craze had been there for a couple of years already. Um, fast forward three years, I wanted that for my wedding. Couldn't find anyone to do it. So I did it myself because I'm a bit mad. Um, and people just, you know, loved it. You know, instead of having two canapes that were a bit a bit cold, they could graze along this, you know, around this amazing table for a couple of hours. And then that just organically led to me doing it for friends and family for 
baby showers and I did a wedding, did one of my friend's weddings. Um, and then I just realised, I think this is, there's a gap in the market here. No one's doing it. All the caterers I spoke to to try and do, you know, my wedding, they just, something was missing. They wanted to put everything in like ramekins yeah. and they just didn't get the aesthetic of it. Um, so yeah, that's where it was born. So going back to your wedding there, um, I know that you did like all the stationery and stuff for it as well. Have you always been the kind of person to be quite hands-on and just like be creative and do things yourself? I've always been very creative. So I've lo- always loved art, loved, loved, loved art, love um, not only kind of learning about art and artists, but actually, you know, painting and drawing. Um, always been very, yeah, creative. I had a business before Grape and Fig, which was based in photography. So creating these um, personalised frames um, for special events for people. So, uh, and that was, that was quite successful. A little bit, it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing for me. Um, but yeah, I've always been quite hands-on and I've always kind of thought a little bit, if I can do it, I'll, I'll you know, I'll give it a good go. And yeah, so that, my, my wedding, I found the whole, I love the whole process of creating. So, yeah, you know, instead of asking someone to do, as you say, wedding invites, I thought, well, I'll just draw them myself and see how it goes. <laughs> so I know that you studied um, art for A-level and you got an A. So obviously you were really good at that stage of your life. Did you ever think that art could be a viable career or did you just kind of think, oh, this will just be for something for fun? Just for fun, I think. You know, I've always enjoyed art, but I, I guess in, without sounding, I've, I've always been quite academic as well. I've always enjoyed um kind of you know history is my my one of my biggest passions and writing which I guess is you know it's a creative outlet as well um but yeah I guess I didn't really fit in that I didn't really think that I would be I'd do something necessarily creative um and I'm not 100% sure sure why but I always thought something like being a teacher or doing something around history I, I read history at university maybe I kind of thought something like that would be the path I'd go down um but I, you know, when I finished university, I started working at an agency, which was, as you know, very, very creative. Um, and that kind of business and creativity thing was was balanced quite well there, I think. Um, and then, yeah, went travelling, came back, didn't really know what I was doing. So I worked in insurance for five years. But I once again found myself in a more creative role. So I started as a, an analyst um, and I was quite good at it, but I didn't enjoy it. And then I just found myself in a, an events marketing and PR role within that business, which I loved. And then thinking about it now, it was because it was creative. I created these events and even things like the invites in my old job, you know, when I was in this, um, in this insurance company, I'd make them myself because I just thought, you know, I, I enjoy the process of it. I know a lot of our listeners do stuff with food because um, we, we see all the DMs and I know that there's a lot of people out there who have food-related businesses. I think what you've done, what's so interesting about what you've done is, because what I always say to people with their content is like, there has to be something else. Like whatever you do, there's a million people that do the thing that you do. So you need one extra thing that hooks. And maybe that's like your personality. Maybe it, it's um, maybe it's the, the color that you use, like whatever it might be. Um, and for you, I suppose it was really like working out the the experience of food, bringing your like creativity into it, creating essentially art pieces um, and and having that experience around the food, and I think that's what's missing from a lot of food businesses is they get so involved in the food side of it that they don't think too much about the artistry that that's involved that could actually like really boost what they're doing. 
Yeah, and we eat with our eyes, don't we? You know, the whole, the whole, you know, the, the whole piece around eating and enjoying is, you know, enjoying food is the the experience. You know, who you're with, where you are, what it looks like. Obviously, it needs to taste amazing as well, but it's it's such a sensory in all cases it's a sensory experience and creating something that's memorable um and creating something that isn't see that it's a really interesting point really because you know as you said with food i i don't really know what well, i'm sure there are but it, it, the the entry to market is so low in what we're doing you know anyone can go and buy some cheese from a, a, a supermarket um take some nice pictures on their phone, edit them and put them onto Instagram. It's, you know, if you wanted to do a clothes business or a makeup, you know, if you have to go get something produced and manufactured and, you know, the supply chain and all of that piece. Whereas with what we're doing, it's so easily replicated. So, yeah, you're right. You need to, you need to add something to it or have a certain eye to make it recognisably yours um, and more memorable than others or other experiences that people have. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think what you do as well is you show people not just like the products that are in there, but like actually how to lay them out. So it's like you're literally showing someone this is exactly what you need to do to be able to do this. What do you think it is that makes your business something that people are like, that's the one I want to go to. That's the one that I want to be a part of. See, we never planned to do that. We never, in actual fact, we were quite protective over our creative methods and how we... Um, put these things together but the the reason why just going back to that point the reason why we did that was two reasons reason number one we knew we couldn't really protect anything once it's out on the internet and there's a picture someone's going to dissect that picture and copy it so that's number one so you accept that um, and then you give yourself the um, I guess it's the permission to share and that when you have that it's you feel more I guess, in control and impact, you know, you feel empowered by that. And then secondly, um, the pandemic really brought around the whole platter method and us giving that to kind of the internet, essentially, like this is how you create it at home. And it was because, you know, literally this time last year, we couldn't cater for Susie down the road, let alone, um, you know, grow, which was what we wanted to do that year and maybe franchise and all of that kind of stuff. So, we just kind of thought, well, content's going to save us here. And people, you know, connecting our brand with something that helps them in their day to day. And that's when we thought, right, okay, so let's just share how we create these things and bring people up a little bit, you know, increase their mood and help them a little bit. And it's just gone from strength to strength. And now that has created a product, which is the DIY kit, and now gone into kind of teaching and workshops and all of that stuff, which is incredible. But it's something that I never sat down and thought, this is what I'm going to do. It was, we're kind of almost forced into that position. I suppose it's it's developing the brand, which is the important part, because it's like, that's what people are prepared to pay for. Even if the products end up being the same, they want to buy into the brand. It's like, I imagine that there's probably more fake Chanel handbags in the world than there is real Chanel handbags. But it's yeah. like, people are still prepared, like they'll look pretty much the same, but it's only kind of like, if you know, you know. So it's like, it's more important to the person of like, well, I'm buying the original, I'm buying this brand, I want to be a part of that brand. How do you Mm. think you've kind of developed your kind of brand like personality? You know, the product, I think the product has a very clean um, and defined aesthetic. It's quite consistent. 
So no matter what the different product is, there's a consistency throughout, which I think is really, really important. So it doesn't really matter what you're selling. It needs to look like it's part of a a whole. Um, I think all of our branding has always been quite considered. um, And I've always been really quite obsessed with, you know, branding and how things look, you know, people buy, buy, but you know, what you say, the experience. So, okay, what does our website look like? What does all of our imagery look like? Um, What's the language we're using? You know, what's the tone of voice? How do we speak to customers? Um, I think being really quite open and honest has been something that's, you know, I said this, I was, I did a live last week and only when you say things, you kind of, realize oh that's you know sometimes when you say things in a conversation you kind of realize oh okay now that is quite cool in terms of we're very kind of quite organic and raw so we'll 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 make a product it looks amazing take a picture 10 minutes later it's on instagram it's like a consistent openness i guess with our community nothing's really you know we don't do a photo shoot and then edit all of the pictures and then kind of drip feed pictures over a month it's very it's quite organic and quite open and quite honest. Um, I think I've always been very, um, you know, I've put myself in the centre of, of the brand. So, you know, do things like lives and stories and talk about, not only, you know, not myself, but, you know, the, the journey that we're, you know, that this business has taken us on, talk, talked about the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. So I think people think we're quite an, an honest brand. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go on, but I think there's, it's and it's a build up of those things it's a build up so when you know i i always i always think if someone found us today you know we've got i don't know 60 or whatever thousand followers it's tiny really if someone came in and had no idea who we were hadn't seen us on any other instagram what would they feel when they went on our facebook or website or instagram and it's curating a kind of a story and a feeling um that's what we that's what we try and do uh, and and it's a lot with instagram but it's a lot with other different channels emails and when you speak to people you know obviously not the general public necessarily but when you have these conversations with um clients it's it's being consistent and what they see on the internet or what they see on the website or whatever making sure that that's a true reflection of the business um, i think that's really important for a brand were you doing lives and stuff like that before the pandemic no no um because we didn't need to if I'm being honest mm. really we we did lots of stories and things like that you know we, we were front and you know my sister and I run the business with my sister uh we were um front and center but in terms of I think I've given a lot more of myself almost over the last year because I've had to because we've not been able to do a lot of business in terms of what we, we in, in the way that we were before um so we've had to completely pivot was that scary or did you or was it sort of like okay well let's let's do this I'm a little bit the way I'm I'm a little bit like a don't really give myself too much time to consider it you know in a way I'm it has to be done to do it and then think about it after almost Mm. but I'm I'm not necessarily you know I'm I'm quite confident but I'm not overly confident I don't you know I don't think I'll brilliant I've got a live at five all these people are watching me (laughs) at all you know but I kind of think when things are a necessity you've just got to kind of do them And when I'm actually in it especially if I'm creating if I get into that flow state of creating like a platter or something it just becomes much more enjoyable for me so 
you know, things like this are amazing. I'm speaking to you guys, but just speaking at a camera for an hour or whatever isn't necessarily. But when I'm doing what I love, like creating these platters, it, it becomes, yeah, it's incredible. Um, everything that you do, like, looks and seems so perfect. Yeah, you kind of definitely have that. You're not, you're definitely not a perfectionist by the sounds of it because you're just like, cool, let's just get out there. Let's just get it done. How do you kind of like balance that? Well, is this good enough to kind of go out? compared to just like, oh, I'm just going to get out as quick as possible. Especially with like food, it's important. You know, you, you see all the McDonald's um, adverts, like, not adverts, things, you know, like this is what they say the Big Mac looks like on the, on yeah, the advert yeah. and this is what it looks <laughs> like um, in reality. I think it's just really important what you're putting out and what you're giving to the public because they're buying from you. If it needs to be good enough to put on Instagram, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit similar to, you know, a lot of clothing brands who are embracing you know, plus size models or whatever, you know, you need to reflect what the product actually is. So doing an amazing photo shoot and making sure everything's 100% is all well and good. But if, if, if that's not what you're going to give to your customer day in, day out, then it's not good enough. So, you know, uh, that, that I just think that's really important. So, and, and it's also the need for content as well. So, you know, we don't have the time necessarily as a small business to set aside a half a day or a day to do a photo shoot for new products every week mm. with professional lighting and all of that you know it's we haven't we're not there yet and I don't think really I think if we got to that stage that would be just part of it but it will still be this kind of fast content um kind of putting it up as soon as it, it, it goes I think that's yeah I think it's quite raw and quite natural and I think yeah I think that's kind of what Grape and Fig is in a way. Rewinding back to when you first started you've you've done your own wedding you've kind of scratched that itch how did you then go for about finding your like very first clients? I think it, I think we were quite lucky because there wasn't anything really like it in the in the UK at the time. I think the US it was building up there, and as I said, Australia there was this a huge craze over there. Um, and I, I think yeah, started just started the Instagram. Instagram was key, um, and because it, it was new, that that really really helped. And I think it was it was a celebrity. I can't remember who. I think it was either Rochelle Humes or Billy Fairs. I think I reached out to them and said, "Oh, you know, could I cater for you?" Just because I wanted that exposure, and that happened, and it just kind of snowballed. Really, um, I think I had a couple of contacts from my old work, so like events, not necessarily working for the the company I work for, but but contacts. They got me in to do some um, some kind of office catering. And then it just, it was genuinely really organic. Never did any advertising or anything like that. Didn't have a website at the time. It just was word of mouth. And at the time, you know, for two years, I did it alongside my job. So I'd, you know, I'd I'd go and do these brunches really, really early in the morning. Then I'd go to work for eight hours. Then I'd leave um, and then go and tidy up and collect all of the stuff. And only when it got, only when it got to the point where... I, I literally couldn't balance it anymore and I had a little bit of a breakdown is when I thought right okay <laughs> this is enough now <laughs> it's always difficult to work out what that point is isn't it because I think it's very rare that the side hustle is actually earning exactly enough for you to leave your job there's always this this kind of like it's nearly there but it's also driving me insane because the amount of time I'm spending working two jobs there's sort of that breaking point yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, all, it's always a scary point, the leap from this is something I do outside of work to this is now my full-time job. Yeah, and it's not even like what's, you know, you don't wake up and think, right, 
this is what I'm doing. It's what would I what would I be least upset with losing? That's the way I looked at it. So That's, yeah. if I had to, you know, I really liked my healthy pay packet and the structure and I'm quite a structured person in, in a way. And I kind of thought, right, okay, well, you know, that, you know, had a really good pension and I had 25 days holiday and I had a boss who really, the buck stopped with him and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I miss, I do miss a lot of that. Like even now I miss someone making decisions ultimately for me, you know, because I have to make them all and it's quite hard. But I, I just remember thinking if I, if that went tomorrow, would I be, would I miss that more than missing the job I was doing? And it was just a really, really clear answer. No, I don't want to let go of it. So I'm just going to have to get let go of the old job. Why decide to go into business with your sister? Because when I gave my job up, um, it was my leaving due and I had a whole year planned of, you know, I had weddings booked in and it was going to be, I was going to build this amazing website. And then I found out I was pregnant the week after and I kind of, <laughs> I was, um, which was amazing. And she's, she's two in August, but just kind of realised that I, Victoria, I can't do this on my own now. Uh, I need to, if, if this is going to continue, I need to get someone in sooner than I had planned. Um, and my sister is unbelievably creative um, but we balance each other really, really well. I'm a little bit more here, there and everywhere, not the best at planning or forward thinking. I'm more more in the moment and things just seem to work out. So I've never really, you know, had to do all these big plans. I, now I have to because it's kind of much bigger. But Catherine is very, very structured and very much um, she knows how to run the logistics of a business better. Um, and I knew that she'd be better at, at things like that. So um, and she's my sister and she would help me, you know, I knew that she'd, she'd help and I knew that she didn't necessarily really enjoy her job at the time. So I just said, look, do you want to come and do this with me um, and see how it goes? And here we are. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. And I, it is hard that like people say, I'll never work with family. Well, I, just, I feel scared about working with anyone who isn't family. We, we hire our cousin as well, full time. We've got another cousin who we're going to, that's a really family run business, um, which can mean it's intense, but you'd never I, I trust complicit I trust my business with my sister 100% because I know that she cares as much as I do do you guys often talk about the future and sort of your your vision for the business because I think that's certainly when you hear of sort of family family business breakdowns it's normally when like one half wants to scale uh, and the other half's kind of happy where they're at or so do you guys have like a long-term vision and plan that you're aligned behind or is it sort of still kind of taking each day as it comes I guess it's a hybrid of both of those things. So we know we know what the next two years should look like and hopefully will look like. Um, but I guess the you know with us the the business has really gone from strength to strength over the last I don't know fourteen months, and that's been in the middle of a pandem- pandemic where cha- where we've had to pivot and change and adapt. So we've it's almost as if we've kind of we're holding on to our hats and just hoping you know well, well it was hoping but we're now thinking right we're coming out of it what does the new normal look like and mm. like we don't even know that so you know before this people were having these big events you know these PR um, events press launches you know all this pro- you know will they go back to that you know when I'm speaking to all of our clients every day they don't know the events managers don't know what's going to happen you know will things stay virtual will there be kind of a trickle we don't know so 
it's almost like we can have a couple of you know a year or two year plan in terms of right okay this is what we want this is the growth this is where we want to be physically you know where do we move to all of this amazing stuff where the arms what arms of the business what, what will they look like and who will look after them so all of that has been discussed and we're really aligned with all of that but in terms of what our you know this time last year our percentage our domestic percent you know in terms of domestic business was five percent not even that it's now over 50 percent so our business has completely changed um in a year and i genuinely don't know what that will look like in a in a year's time will it still be 50 percent? will it just be bigger I don't, I don't know so i guess it's a hybrid it's working out what you what you want to be and where you want to be but we don't really know the environment yet you're listening to creative rebels the podcast for creatives If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. I think what I find really interesting is there's um, a guy we've had on the show before called Daniel Priestley, who we talk about quite a lot. And he talks about with any business, you need kind of different scales of products. And you basically kind of use each one to kind of like level up to the next. You've got kind of a free product, which is kind of like Instagram, the kind of advice you're giving out, I suppose. And then I feel like the pandemic has made you introduce that kind of smaller tier package of something that is accessible to anyone is like relatively affordable. And I almost feel like I feel like the future of your business is going to be so much bigger because now so many people have tried a smaller version of your package. When everyone gets married, it's like they're going to then go for the bigger package because they're like, oh, well, I've already I can already trust this brand because I've spent X amount with them. It was great. So if I spend this bigger amount with them and they can cater my whole wedding, I feel like it's almost like the pandemic's kind of like filled that little gap for you of kind of getting in yeah. more clients. 100%. You know, when you look at our website now, there isn't one product on there that existed this time last year. Not one. Not one product. They're, they're all 100% new because they've had to cater for a domestic audience over the past year. Mm. Um, or corporate, corporate, you know, corporate audience on a much more smaller scale so yeah the the way that we see it is this this arm of the business has grown and it's successful and it's amazing and that's going to stay and then we've got the other arm which has we just press pause on and hopefully that will come back in terms of our big experiential um displays different audience different product but you're right it's all the same ingredients we're using in the smaller ones it's just it's far more accessible it's yeah it's definitely we we kind of want to be you know synonymous with we we kind of you know i love like the bloom and wild model of kind Mm -hmm. of you know when you think of you know doorstop you know flowers you think of bloom and wild we want to be you know domestic cheese boards grape and fig we want that's where we want to be we want to have our own chutneys our own range our own you know we want to be in supermarkets like this is kind of a starter platter kit you know that's what we want so that that domestic market is a huge focus for us um and it's going to continue but as you say the the old the old grape and fig will definitely come back but it will be kind of a separate arm and do you think you'll ever kind of go into the retail space of like having your own restaurant or cafe or anything like that i think it's a bit of a vanity project really if, if i'm being like really honest you know i would love i i would love to 
open like a cheese and wine bar and at the end of last year we were talking about it you know let's open this grape and fig cheese and wine bar and you can come in and you can kind of choose all the different cheeses and we'll make a platter for you and then we'll we'll pair it with amazing wine and all of this amazing stuff and you talk about it and we kind of talk Catherine and I talked ourselves into oh my god we know what it's going to look like it's going to reflect the brand really really well all of this good stuff and then you kind of you hit with the reality and you think well we can't deal with the the our day job as it is let alone opening a restaurant and bar um so and I think that takes an awful lot of time and dedication it's only when I've been speaking to people in the hospitality you know in 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 that space where you know it's someone needs to be there from like six in the morning to like midnight one every it's it's a it's a lot of dedications needed for it and I just don't think at them I think at the moment we want to focus on growing the business and especially that domestic piece and going nationwide with more products and that that for us is more of a um a focus so what we're hopefully going to do and we're literally I've got the um the property here we're, we're looking at a property where it can be a very much a hybrid so we'll have all of our commercial kitchens and um it'll be our home and our hq but it will be something that's a place an amazing place people can come in and we can do workshops and we can have consultations and meetings and the public can come in and pick up um the orders you know local orders um from us but but it won't be necessarily a cheese and wine bar yet so we're yeah, just yeah. We're, we're doing baby steps well, it kind of seems from like, like following your journey that having like a space where you can do experiential things would just be seems to make a bit more sense because it's like that's what you've yeah. done before, that's what you know. And I feel like where the brand succeeds so well is the fact that it does feel like an experience rather than just you don't just feel like you're just buying a product. It does feel like that experience. Yeah, and that, that's what we want to give. We want to we we miss Catherine and I miss so much being around people and teaching and talking to them about you know different pairings and different cheeses and talking to them about it's just a very therapeutic even like creating it's just a very therapeutic process it's kind of a form of self-care almost it's really enjoyable and we're doing this virtually but there's nothing like being around a group of people and talking to them and teaching and having that experience um obviously when we do our big you know big jobs having that experience and being there and just seeing people's reactions amazing but doing that, that that teaching piece is really important to us. Yeah, so having a space that's our own that we can invite people to, um, that would be amazing. Be really, really good. And once again, it's only come from COVID, you know, this this the, this last year. We weren't really doing that before. It's so crazy, isn't it? I mean, we hear a lot of, of negative stuff. And I mean, the overwhelming kind of messages is all of the bad stuff that's happened. But in amongst that, there are people who've really innovated and their their businesses are kind of come out of this actually stronger than going in mm. which is incredible to think really yeah and, and we're it, it it does look from the outside it does look and and it is it is a stronger business and we're doing we're doing really well but it has been really taxing <laughs> yeah. and and I, and I think it's really important we someone messaged us saying you know how what, what's got how have you done this and how is it all going so well like another business owner because I'm really really struggling and it's and I just had to be I'm really it has been so hard for you know we're all got not only personally we've all gone through ups and downs the past year um for, for whatever reason when you overlay that with running a business from home that's your own business and then working with family and then every day see you know trying to adapt and literally there was a point I don't know maybe last summer 
where you 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 feel you're working to survive essentially and you're 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 putting stuff out there hoping that something sticks and it has been a little bit of a an uphill battle i think um and i think only now we're at the stage where we think right okay this isn't just a fluke this is this is working you know this is a this is a business that is consistently working and that i think will um still be successful when things go back to the new normal but it has been you know to your point we are stronger and we are better out of this and i'm kind of weirdly thankful for you know all of the different changes that we've 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 had to make in a, in a, in a really weird way but it had yeah as i said it's been it's been bloody hard <laughs> during those really hard times what is it you kind of say to yourself that kind of keeps you going I kind of didn't give myself a choice and I don't I don't think that's necessarily I think there are so many times where I just thought I can't be dealing with this you know we had a business before where we went to events and you know we had portable sinks and these huge ice you know you know huge coolers and we created these things on site overnight I'm then faced with creating 250 boxes a day for the general public so it's you know where do you make we had to build we had to build industrial kitchens on my property to fulfill these orders so that having it in your home almost is you know working with couriers and all this kind of stuff it was it was a bit of a nightmare at the time but I didn't really give myself a chance to think it's not going to work I just thought it has to <laughs> and I think the more you put in the more you've got to lose if it does go wrong so that propels you more you know that you you give you you know you put two months of blood sweat and tears literally in and the third month becomes harder to give up because you've given so much you know so I think it's that that helped weirdly last year um it all started quite positive and then kind of in the in the dregs of it kind of four months in when we thought god is this our, is this our new reality and how long is this going to last for it's all of that unknown that was really difficult but yeah I just didn't really give myself a chance to as I said to not give it my all it just wasn't it wasn't wasn't an option it speaks to your resilience i think that when we are faced with trials and tribulations there's there's different ways that people react to it and it seems like you almost like you didn't give yourself any other options you were like okay we're this is going to work one way or the other so let's let's just put out like pull our socks up and go for it um i know someone who was um furloughed through like has been furloughed for the past year and has just watched tv has done like nothing and then i know other people who have like um they've been furloughed but like they've they've kind of they've either helped the company that they're already working for um like unofficially or they've or they've started a new project themselves or do you know what i mean and i think there's just this different certain people will see will see this and just be like okay well I'll, I'll just wait until the news says it's fine for me to to do something again until that point I'll just sit here and do nothing and then mm. there's the other people who are like okay well who knows how long this is going to last I'm go- I'm going to have to do something it's like it's almost like that forward motion isn't it of like just keep keep stepping forward okay we've we've got to change our path but we're still we're still going forward yeah and I think you can I think with with what what's happened the past year it can become like a little bit of how do I put it like a an obsession almost you know because there hasn't been anything else to fill the gaps there's been no seeing friends on a Friday or you know there's been no holidays there's been no natural downtime because we're stuck at home so I think 
I've given, you know, and Catherine and Grace, we've given literally 100% of ourselves, um, which I don't think is sustainable. Um, I think it, 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 was nece- it was necessary the past year because we had to adapt and change and um, kind of literally all come together and just do what was needed. But I think I'm getting to this stage now where I'm like, right, okay, there needs to be some boundaries here. And I think that's really, really important. You know, there's life is going to come back to normal. And I will be really honest, the thought of having downtime and going on holiday scares me because I've been literally on for a year now with no let up, you know, the whole throughout the whole of Christmas, the whole of Valentine's. It's just, and it but that can build up. Um, and yeah, so now we're at the kind of the stage where we're think, thinking, okay, what does this new business look like? in the new kind of normal, you know, post-June and creating, you know, boundaries and processes and all of that stuff is really, really going to be important to us because I can't, we can't carry on like this um, or otherwise we'll kind of work ourselves into the ground. So that's, yeah. and that's a real learning, I think. It's just kind of thinking, right, okay, we've done what we've needed. We're at a good place. Let's, um, let's get a little bit of life back. <laughs> I kind of feel like to to make a business a success, you need to put yourself through, like literally going all in for a certain amount of time. I think too many mm. people when they start something are like, well, okay, well, I'm still going to have all my weekends off. I'm still going to finish at five o'clock. I'm still going to go on holiday and do all the things that I used to do in my normal job. But it's realizing that actually, if you do want to stand out, if you do want to excel above other, other people, you're going to need to put a certain level of like time in that mm. is just head down, focus, keep going. And it's only when you do that, then you kind of come out the other side of it and you're like, well, okay, now now I can find the time to do those things. But I think yeah. to, to actually, yeah, turn it into a success, there needs to be that kind of grit of just putting your head down and just being like, I've just got to do this. Yeah, definitely, 100%. And, you know, it, as I said, it, it, it can it can become a little bit all-consuming and that's not necessarily a bad thing if it's, you know, if the business needs it and you know instinctively, I think as an owner of a business, you instinctively know when you need to push yourself and when you can kind of step back a little bit. Um, But yeah, I just think this void and this lack of anything else this past year just hasn't helped necessarily you know I'm, I, I, I look around and I'm constantly thinking you know I look at a, a piece of art and I think hmm that would look nice it's it's and which is good and you're you're constantly being inspired by things around you but it, there's nothing else to really take your attention away really um you know in, in work time so it de- there's definitely a need and a place for it um I just think balance at some point is 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 good (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i think uh, what you said there about kind of inspiration i think that is just something that as a business owner never really goes away because it's like no matter where in the world i am what i'm doing if i see something i'm like oh that's a businessy thing i'll even be like i'll listen to random songs about singing about whatever and i'll be like oh that's an interesting line how can i flip that into a metaphor for business (laughs) and it's just like i just can't not do it now i remember being at school and my english teacher was like I I just like hate watching films and stuff now because I've spent so much time analysing them. I can't watch a film for enjoyment now. I just have to, I just sit there and like be like, oh, the lighting. And I've started to do it as well, like, like through photography. I now watch a film and I'm like, instead of just appreciating it, I'm like, oh, I wonder where that light is sourced within the yeah. set that they're in. Not just it's not a yeah. fi- it's not a drama that's happening and like real. It's like oh well, 
there's a bit of blue light coming from there. There's a bit of orange light coming from there. They've done that because of color contrast. And it's just like, I'm just like, stop thinking about yeah. this and just start enjoying it. It's literally, you frame everything from the perspective of your your business. Yeah, 100%. Everything I kind of consume or, you know, in, you know, in, 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 in my working kind of day or outside it but you kind of frame it in a way of how's that going to benefit me or how can I bring that and kind of or or if I have a really good experience with a with a brand um is sitting down and thinking why was that so enjoyable why what what, what makes that a pleasant experience for me you know there's lots of so many brands out there that I just hugely admire um jewelry brands clothing brands and it's just dissecting that experience. Now, what made that really good? And, you know, usually you just experience that as, you know, a person. You think, oh, okay, I'll buy from them again. But I, I spend a lot of my time doing that, actually. You know, if I buy from, a, you know, Daisy Jewelry or whatever. Okay, so what made that? And I'll, I'll keep the bo- I've got all... My office is surrounded by boxes of companies that have nothing to do with me. But I keep all of, you know, I keep all of their... Um, this is, you know, Pastor Evangelist, all this. I keep all of the leaflets, everything, because I'm thinking about, okay, so what made that experience a positive and a good one? And learning from it is something I do all the time. But I'm literally, my office is covered. There's, there's boxes everywhere, just all these different brands. And, you know, what does it say on their box? What's the experience? Everything. I think it's really important. Yeah, the experience is everything, and the experience is universal. Um, and I, I think you look at a, a um, company like Apple and they've they've really sort of mastered it of of just making the opening of the box is an experience and yeah and kind of as you unpack your technology um I think I think yeah as soon as smaller brands start to understand that it's actually more about the experience than it is about the actual product then that's that's when they're on to a winner yeah and making things easy you know I've I didn't really I don't really know much about, well, I didn't know much about e-commerce, for example, because before people just met, emailed us and then we went back to them and sent them an invoice. And it was okay when we were dealing with three customers a day, but when you're yeah. dealing with like 250 customers a day, it's a completely different business. So we've had to, I've had to, you know, get people, experts on board who can build, you know, an e-commerce website that's easy and that the experience is pleasant and mm you know, things weren't 100% at the beginning and those kind of mini failures or those learnings have made the business even better. So it's just, co- it's constantly, I think, all, you know, realising that you're never going to get to a point and you think, right, we're done. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's lovely. You're never going to get to that point. It, you're, you're constantly going to, it's relentless actually. And it's, it's framing that relentless need to improve as a positive thing, not necessarily a negative thing. Is, is something that I've had to kind of switch something in my brain. You know, just because it's not 100% perfect doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It's just something that constantly probably needs to be improved. And when technology, you know, changes, we'll have to change with it or, you know, all that kind of good stuff is yeah. um, it's all part of it. <laughs> and I think as well, like when you think of brands, like as David mentioned there, Apple, like they're worth like a trillion and there's still elements of the buying process and stuff that you're like, oh, that could be improved a little bit. And it's like realizing mm. that the biggest company in the world still doesn't have it perfectly. Or like Amazon, yeah. like their deliveries like aren't always perfect. And it's like, they're like one of the biggest companies in the world and they still can't get it right. So the fact that yeah. we could spend our whole lives and never even be to that level. So it's just kind yeah. of appreciating that as long as you're always improving, always growing and always like listen to your customer, I suppose, that's like mm. gonna be the most important thing. 
we've got the loveliest customers and um we we get loads of feedback um vastly thank god is positive um and we've with our returning customer rate is really high actually so we've got really loyal customers and I, th- I think I was speaking to um who was I speaking to last week it was Amanda Perry and she was talking about you know the whole the whole bloom and wild thing where it's people recipients of of product you need to make them your customers and I think that's what's happened with us so for example people lots of our our work the past year has been gifting and that recipient has then become a customer and because they enjoyed that experience they gift a lot and it's that recurring recurring piece which is really really helpful but we get loads of loads of customer feedback and I think you know when you do grow and you're as I said you're dealing with hundreds of customers a day rather than one like-minded person in business you know another PR event you know manager or whatever which we were doing before you know we had absolutely no negative feedback or no complaints before for three years because there was no really there was no real room for it because it was so meticulously analysed and every element was um, was kind of done by ourselves, you know, but a lot of our customer feedback has been things completely out of our control, but is our problem, like couriers, for example, and delivery and all of that piece. And that's been a real learning curve for us. Trying, you know, and me personally, not taking that personally, you know, so if someone's box is delivered to the wrong address and the customer's fuming because it's not got there in time for a birthday, it's not taking that personally, but thinking that isn't a good customer experience. How do we make that better? And how do we turn a negative into something that's a real positive and brings that customer back to us? And I think that's what we, that's our focus at the moment, customer service and accepting you know, not everything's in your control. Once once your product, your beautiful product leaves our HQ, we can't hand deliver hundreds a day. But what we can do is do everything in our power to make it a good customer experience, no matter what the, you know, the outcome, if they get it or don't. So all of that stuff is a, a huge learning. And so we're, we're really open with our customers and really, really honest with them when we do get um, any feedback and just learn, constantly learning from that. I think it's all, you know, failure isn't, or not failure, but negativity or, or feedback or constructive feedback. I, I now see that as a huge positive because it's just a, a tool really to improve. Um, and we're constantly improving, you know, something you know, something doesn't go necessarily perfectly, right, okay, how do we make that better next time? And it's, it's it goes back to that constant improvement piece. Well, it's um, it's really inspiring what you've done. I love how the way you guys have evolved. Um, what advice or, or words of inspiration would you give to any um, small business owners that are in the thick of it right now? Don't think too much about, about it. Just, just do it and see, you know, take... Sometimes with business, you can think so much about kind of six months time, a year's time. Is that is that exactly the right post to put up, the right mess? Just do it. Just do it. Um, if your gut is telling you it's right, just just do it. And things do not have to be perfect. Get it out there, whatever, you know, just even if it's if it's a product and you know that it's it's right for you and you've got a gut instinct that it's it's got a, it's a good fit. Don't overthink things. Put it out there. Everything can be tweaked and evolved and improved upon. But sometimes you can get stuck if you're an overthinker and a perfectionist and lots of creators and creatives are. You can get stuck in this overanalyzing piece. And actually, it's all kind of all retro vomit. You don't want to get there. Just just put it out. 
into the world and amazing things will happen when you do that all wretch no vomit I've never heard that before that's fucking disgusting by the way amazing um, where can people find you guys online um, at grape and fig uh, or www.grapeandfig.com brilliant thank you Thanks so much it. thank you so much I've had a lovely lovely hour um, to start the week so thank you very very much for having me